Heavenly Father, thank you that you have spoken, that your word entered into our world, the word became flesh. Thank you that you haven't left us in the dark, but the light entered into the world. We ask today, please, that we would meet Jesus, and that as we do, that he would change our life. And we ask this in his name. Amen. There are people that you meet in life who change your life. There are people you meet who will change your life. You might not know it at the time. It might be the, the careers advisor in high school who in hindsight gave you the advice that really changed your life. You meet people who change your life. It might be that dorky teenager right, who became the lifelong friend. It might be that man who's banging on your door in the middle of the night saying, get out, get out, there's a fire. Right? There are people that you meet who change your life. Sometimes the very first words that they speak or that are spoken of them gives you an indication of the change that's going to come, right? Imagine you're about to meet this person and you go up to shake their hand and they say to you, congratulations, you're the winner. That's a person that's going to change your life. Hello, you're going to be my apprentice. Let me introduce you to someone. Her name is... There are people that we meet who change our lives. So I met one such person uh, in the late 90s. Our families already knew each other, but I I met her really then. Uh, I've got a photo of her for you. Here you go. Uh, There's the person that I met kind of back then. Uh, She she gave me permission to show you this photo, only on the condition that I also showed you this one. This was me back then. Uh, But enough about me. Let's talk about her. I, I met this girl, Edwina, uh, we were a youth group together, she was a couple of years below me. I don't really pay much attention to her as you do when you're in school, but I paid enough attention to her to invite her to my 18th birthday party a couple of years afterwards. Um, I invited her a few years later to my 21st birthday party, uh, and not long after that I invited her out on a few dates, uh, and eventually I gave her a rather special invitation to my wedding. Uh, she, she got to come along as the bride. There are people you meet who changed your life. Now, she's changed mine. She's been my partner, my companion, my friend. She's the mother of my children. She's been my partner in ministry. My life now is so different because of her. Today, I want to introduce you to somebody. I want to introduce you to somebody, and if you let him, he will change your life forever. I want to introduce you to somebody who is so special that God sent a herald before him. God sent a messenger to proclaim that he is about to come. Now we're going to pick it up in John chapter 1. Again, if you've closed your Bible, open it up, page 1027. John chapter 1. We kind of skimmed over John the Baptist last week. It's a little bit confusing. There's two Johns, John the Evangelist who wrote the book that we're studying and John the Baptist, the man that we meet now, this herald. There was a bit of confusion when John first arrived on the scene. There was confusion about John. Is he the one that we were waiting for or is there someone else still to come? See John chapter 1 and verse 19. This was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. The religious leaders of the day had to send a delegation out to ask this bloke. John was, well if you like, He was encroaching on their turf. He was stepping on their toes. So here this nobody out in the desert, the other gospel tells us, who 
Crowds were flocking to him. People were leaving Jerusalem to go to John the Baptist to be baptised by him. Here's this guy who's doing the religious ritual, the religious washing, and the leaders want to know, well, hang on, who's this bloke? You can imagine... Uh, let's say next week, next door used to be Awesome Blooms. Anyone ever know it when it was Awesome? Anyway, there was a sign out the front, it's sold now. Can you imagine next week, uh, there's a sign out the front that says Ingleburn Anglican Church. And there's a couple of blokes there and then they're doing Lord's Supper and they're inviting people to come and be baptised and they're running Anglican kind of services. And well, I reckon Joe and I would want to go and, and, and just have you know a little knock on the door. Hey, you, who, who are you guys? Does the, the bishop know about this? Are you... But, by what right are you doing what you're doing? Not that we actually care. I mean, if people want to preach the gospel, good on them. But John the Baptist is doing this ritual washing. The religious leaders go, who are you? Or even better yet, who do you think you are doing what you're doing? They send the group out to him. And he runs through these titles, if you like. John didn't fail to confess. He said freely, I'm not the Christ. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. These characters, these special people that Israel was waiting for. If you're going to set up a parallel religion, at the very least you need to be one of the important guys who's going to come and do it. No, I'm none of those. Well, then who are you? And John says, I'm just a voice. Just a voice. A voice that says, get ready. He's coming. Get ready. The one you are waiting for is coming. And John doesn't say it with his own words. He takes God's words. The promise that God made in Isaiah 40, the first passage that we had read to us, right? The voice is going to come and prepare, prepare the way. And then what happens? The Lord is going to come. God himself will come. And the whole world will see his glory. Now we heard a little bit about the glory of Jesus last week. Get ready. You're about to see something extraordinary. It puts me in mind um, of that, that really, it's just a modern classic, that movie. Anyone know where this scene is from? Aladdin, yeah. I think it was late 80s maybe even. It's that old. It's a Pixar film I found out recently. Right? You're going to look in the credits. There's Pixar. It's Aladdin, right? And Aladdin, he says to, to, to the genie, okay, I want to become a prince. I need to woo my girl, and the only way to woo my girl is to be a prince, so you've got to turn me into one. And the genie, of course, right, pew, 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 Robin Williams, one of his best performances, turns him into a, a prince with all the things that go with it, and the parade comes into the city, and there's the swans and the peacocks and the mighty men and you know the big elephant and the dancing girls and all the rest of it. And as the parade comes down, the genie moves through the crowd. He goes to the old blokes and he appeases the goat that speaks to them, right? He comes alongside the little boys. He goes and talks to the, uh, the eligible young ladies, right? And at every point he's saying, get ready. Get ready. You're about to see the prince, right? Prince Ali, glorious he. Ali, right? Now it's stuck in your head for the next day. Anyway, because of course it's Aladdin. It has to be a musical. Get ready. He's coming. You're about to see next something unbelievable. Something extraordinary. Now that is John the Baptist. God is about to enter into the world. You will see the glory of God. It's quite some announcement. Unfortunately, some of the guys, the religious leaders who were there, they totally don't get it. 
They're so hung up on this religious right that John seems to be taken over that they can't let go of it. Right? Verse 24, some Pharisees who had been sent, they questioned him. John's just said, God's about to come. You're going to see his glory. Hang on, why are you baptizing if you're not the Christ? You're not Elijah. You're not the prophet. Well, fair question. Why is the voice baptizing? Well, as it turns out, this herald didn't himself know who he was heralding. I didn't know the one who was to come, but that is why I am baptizing. He says something extraordinary in verse 26. I baptize with water, he begins to answer, but among you stands one you don't know. God himself is going to come. The glory of the Lord will be visible and he's standing among you. I can imagine the crowd at that point going, "What? which one of us? Which one of us could possibly be this one? Well, that's why I came baptizing. Right? We jump down to verse 31. I myself didn't know him, said John. But the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. God told me there's going to be a sign. As I baptize, one of the people I baptize, the Spirit will descend upon him and stay upon him, and that is the one. I wonder if John was surprised when it turned out to be his cousin. I'm just a voice. But I'm also, if you like, the judge on Israel's Got Talent. right? The X factor. I'm looking for the one, or if you like, the cross factor. Just trying to find that one, the special one that I am announcing. And he found him. And he points to him. Verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, this is the one I was speaking of. Now how you get introduced to somebody makes a lot of difference to how your relationship begins, doesn't it? Imagine you're at work one day and a colleague comes in and says, oh, I want to introduce Mark from accounting to you. I mean, I'm I'm kind of bored in that relationship already, right? I mean, Mark from accounting, who cares? Uh, Are there any Marks in accounting? No, good, okay, good, right. That's a little bit different to, uh, David, I'd like you to meet my father. Now, that introduction's a bit different, isn't it? Introducing Her Majesty the Queen. How you introduced to somebody makes an extraordinary difference to the relationship. And I want you to somebody who's going to change your life. Listen to how John introduces Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. It's a rather strange introduction. I want to introduce you to someone really important. Uh, He's a lamb. What do we we make of that? Well, I mean, we, we know lamb, right? There's a picture of a cute little lamb. Looks delicious, doesn't it? I mean, we, we, right? We know lamb. We roast them. We bake them. We deep fry them. We, they're delicious little animals. In fact, it's one, it's, it's one of the things that my mum misses the most about Australia, just by the way. You, they don't do roast leg of lamb with mint sauce the way we do here. So when she comes back, we always hit up leg of lamb, right? We know lamb. It's delicious. We eat it. Uh, by the way, my uncle farms grass-fed. If you're ever interested, I can hit you up. Um, they knew lamb as well, though. It's not a modern thing. I'm sure that they knew that lamb was delicious. So they ate it, no worries. 
But for them, lamb had a slightly more special significance. See, lamb was associated with sacrifice. For them, a lamb died so that I didn't. It's the story of the Exodus, when Israel was captive in Egypt and God said, I'm going to bring down punishment upon them like you would not believe. The angel of death will pass over Egypt and every single firstborn will die unless, for my people, the lamb dies in their place. And so they slaughtered a lamb and they painted its blood upon the doorposts and the angel of God passed over, for there had already been a death. They knew a lamb as something that died so that I don't. It's the story of the temple. As they brought their sacrifices before God, their sin placed upon the lamb that it might die in my place. And somehow we are introduced to Jesus as the lamb of God. Not the lamb of that I will sacrifice, but the sacrifice of God himself for the sin of the world. The lamb died and had to keep on dying. It wasn't enough. Had to keep bringing more lambs, more death to cover over that which I deserved death for. Here is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I want to introduce you to someone. If you let him, he will change your life. He is God's sacrifice in your place. Have you ever had somebody lovingly sacrifice for you? It's a profound experience. Whether it's the mother who skips meals so her children can eat, wears rags so that they're warm, the father who works multiple jobs to pay the bills, the sibling who sacrifices for you, the best friend who no matter what it costs them is there for you. To have somebody sacrifice for you is an extraordinary experience. I want to introduce you to Jesus who is God's sacrifice for a broken world. God's sacrifice for you. The Bible is very clear. God is the loving ruler and the loving creator of the world. It's his. And everything in it is his. That includes us. And yet every single one of us, me, you, the person sitting next to you, the people you live with, the people you study with, the people you work with, those you cross in the street, the people you love, the people that annoy you, every single person in the history of humanity is born with such a nature that we reject and we rebel against the loving ruler and the loving creator of the world. And God won't leave that rejection unpunished. God can't leave that rejection. We saw it last week. Part of his holiness, part of his, uh, his glory is that he is holy. The truth of God is that he cannot stand rejection before him. Right? Light and darkness. There can be no darkness before the light. And so every single one of us is facing the condemnation of death before God. That's, that's the story of the Bible up until the beginning of the Gospels. On our own, we are condemned. I want to introduce you to Jesus, the Lamb of God, the one sacrificed by God 
in your place. How do you respond to an introduction like that? Hi, I'd like to introduce you to Jesus. Uh, He died so that you can do the thing that you can't do and come back to God. Well, John's disciples responded to such an introduction. This is what they did. So let's pick up from verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. He saw Jesus passing by. He said, look, the Lamb of God. And what did the disciples do when they heard this? They followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following us. What do you want? They said, Rabbi, where are you staying? Come and you will see. They heard that Jesus is the sacrifice of God. Whether they understood it fully or not, well, they heard enough and they followed. And the very next thing they did as they followed, half a day they spent with Jesus and off they went and invited others. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother in verse 40, was one of the two who heard what John had said and followed him. And the first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we've found the Messiah. We've found the anointed one. And he brought him to Jesus. The next day, verse 43, Jesus goes to Galilee, leaves from Galilee. He finds Philip and he says to Philip, follow me. And what's the first thing that Philip does? Philip found Nathanael and told him, we've found the one. Those who meet Jesus follow him and invite others to do so as well. It makes perfect sense, right? If you meet Jesus and Jesus is who he claims to be, then it makes perfect sense to invite others to come to him too. I've got, uh, I've got Oprah Winfrey staying at home at the moment. Uh, you believe me about that, don't you? And she's staying in the spare room uh, with the kids. That's cool. She's all right with it. And she said to me this morning, you know what, David? I'm in the mood to give away some cars. That's what she's known for, yeah? Free cars, brand new. I'll pay all the on-road costs. Whoever comes to your house today... I'll give him a car. Now, what am I going to do? Ah, it's a bit smoky outside. It's kind of rainy. I'm having a good time here with you, Oprah. We're having cups of tea and chatting. Of course not, right? I'm going to go and find everyone. Hey, free cars! Just let's just queue in one door out the other, right? Say hi and leave. You got your car. We're done, right? And that's a silly example because Oprah Winfrey giving away a car is nothing compared to Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It makes perfect sense when you meet Jesus to invite others to come and get what you found. We do a term where we focus on evangelism. We focus on outreach because of that. Have you met Jesus? If if you have, then how are you not pouring your time and energy into finding other people and bringing them to meet him too? Well, Philip goes and calls Nathaniel. He finds Nathaniel. And Nathaniel, I think, is much more of a modern spirit perhaps than the other guys. He's the skeptic. He's the guy who's got his prejudices. He's what do you mean? Jesus of Nazareth, he says. Nazareth? What good can come out of Nazareth, right? That country hick, it's a hole. What are you expecting someone good? It's a little bit... Anyone know Molong? Anyone know Molong? Yeah, two people, not enough. Um, It's a little bit... Well, three people, thank you. It's a little bit like saying, right, Minto. What good can come out of Minto, right? It's nothing. It's a... 
Thanks, David. David came from Minto. He's got his prejudices. He's made up his mind already. Who can, this guy can't be anything good. Now, sometimes prejudice isn't a bad thing, right? There's sensible prejudice and it's worth having, but we need to be aware of our prejudice. Lest it blind us from seeing the truth. I think we all have our own prejudice and we need to know what it is. Perhaps for you, well, it's, it's history. You've got this thing against history, right? This happened way back then. They had a different culture. They had a different understanding of life. We've gone through the Enlightenment, the Renaissance, modernism, postmodernism. We're educated. We have open minds. This couldn't possibly be true. Maybe your prejudice is religion. I went to school with a guy uh, who said, I, I, I couldn't possibly believe this stuff. I went to Rome. I've seen the cathedrals. I've seen the wealth that is stored up by these churches that preach compassion and that preach caring for the poor. It can't possibly be true. Maybe your prejudice is against Christians. You've met them as hypocrites, as failures, as flaws. And you think if that's what a Christian looks like, well, then none of this can possibly be true. Maybe you're prejudiced against the supernatural. How can Jesus know this, I saw you while you were still sitting under the fig tree? Someone just whispered it to him, right? It can't really be supernatural. Whatever your prejudice is, you need to be aware of it. And like Nathaniel, honest inquiry is the cure for prejudice. Come and see. Come and see. Meet Jesus. Listen to him. See him. Nathaniel had a rather special encounter with Jesus. And the thing is, everything that Nathaniel got shown, you can see too. We see it in the pages of Scripture as we meet Jesus. Nathaniel had an extraordinary change of mind. He went from Jesus is a nobody to proclaiming in verse 49, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. An extraordinary statement. It's, a, it's another title in itself. We could do another study. I mean, Andrew alluded to the king who has risen. We'll have time for that. Nathaniel took an extraordinary step of faith. I want to talk about faith for a moment. I want to clarify a misunderstanding that we often have. So usually faith is used a little bit like this. In the absence of any sort of knowledge, in the absence of any sort of evidence, that's when you need to have faith. We talk about having a, a leap of faith, right? You, you're blind, so you just have to jump. But that's not the Bible's faith. Faith, rather, is knowing something and acting upon it. You don't necessarily know everything. In fact, we won't know everything this side of heaven, and even then maybe we won't. But you know something and you act upon what you know. I have faith in Edwina. I trust her. I don't know everything about her. I don't think there's any possible way I ever will know everything about her. But I know something about her. I know enough. She has proved trustworthy. She has kept her promises admirably. I have faith. It's not blind faith. It's not based on, well, I have no knowledge of her, therefore I just have to trust. I know something. I can put it like this. Faith is not a blind leap taken when you don't know anything. 
It's not a blind leap in the absence of any knowledge. Rather, faith is the action that we take based on what we do know. Nathaniel, he heard the proclamation from Philip that they'd found the one. He saw Jesus, even just this little snippet of knowledge that Jesus revealed. He knew something about Jesus and he took a step of faith of what he knew. We will never know everything. Certainly not about God. That his eternity and immense power would somehow be able to be fully captured in our brains is the height of arrogance. We will never know everything about God. At some point in your journey, as you meet Jesus, as you learn something of him, you will need to take a step of faith. You will need to act upon what you know about Jesus. I want to introduce Jesus to you. The Lamb of God. The sacrifice that God made so that you might come back into relationship with him. Back into the relationship that you were created to be in. I want to introduce Jesus to you. Come and see. Come and meet him. We'll keep meeting him time and time again through the pages of John's Gospel, all throughout this term and the next. Come and see. And when you're ready, take that step of faith. Knowing what you know of Jesus and determining to put your trust in him that his death might be for you as well. I want to introduce you to Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you sent into the world your lamb, your son, the one whose death paid for the sin of the world, the one whose death paid for my sin. Thank you. Father, would you teach us to take the steps of faith that we need to? As we know him, as we grow in knowing him, teach us to trust his death in our place. And we ask this in his name. Amen.